Tonight's episode is brought to you by Jeremiah Johnson Brewing. Thorny, as we venture into the R&R, two truths are consistent. We love our dear Montana State, and we love great beer. And you know who else feels the same? Jeremiah Johnson Brewing. Brewed in the heart of Montana in downtown Great Falls, Jeremiah Johnson takes Montana's finest ingredients to craft some of Montana's favorite beers. And now... Jeremiah Johnson's second tap room is open in downtown Coeur d'Alene. Their Citra IPA is probably one of my favorites, but we all know, Thorny, you're not the hop lover I am. You're more of a mountain man scotch ale. Well, Foley, I'm certainly not a mountain man, but you are right. I do love their mountain man scotch ale. But come game day, you and I are both cracking their golden bobcat pale ale. So when you're looking for a quality craft beer brewed with Montana roots, a relaxing tap room, or just a six pack to take to your favorite bobcat tailgate, Jeremiah Johnson delivers. Make your next beer a Jeremiah Johnson, and as always, go Cats. I will say anything beats the throwback Montana uniforms. Those are easily the most disgusting uniforms, I, I think, in the sport of football. You mean that, like, burnt <laughs> copper garbage? Uh, it's. I don't even know if I'd call it burnt copper. It's like a, a mushy orange and Oh, brown. that's vile. Welcome, everybody, to the RNR Catcast, a fan based podcast focusing on Montana State athletics. We're two dudes named Ryan from the state of Washington talking about our dear Montana State. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back, Bobcat fans. Well, thanks for joining us during this summer's night. Thorny, how are you doing today, buddy? You know, I'm doing pretty good. It's been a good Wednesday for me, hump day. Uh, I have Friday off, so I'm looking forward to tomorrow being my Friday. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. I've been excited to get on with you tonight, and we have a special episode coming up. Yeah, I'm going to try something a little different tonight. I had the idea. Maybe I had a, a beer in me at the time. We'll you know leave that up to the scholars to decide. But uh, we got two guests on. We got Joe DeLeon and Sean Anderson from the Believe Sports Network, I believe they have their podcast. Is it just called FCS Football Podcast? Yeah, it's the Believe in FCS Football Podcast. And then it's uh, Believe spelled B-L-E-A-V. Yes. Not uh, Believe. Yeah, we'll ask you a little bit more about that here in a little bit. Uh, But you guys are both Rhode Island football players. Rhode Island Rams just recently graduated. And uh, yeah, we're going to ask you guys a little bit about the Bobcats, a little bit about what's going on in the FCS, maybe some COVID news, all that good fun stuff. But very first, let's start with what we normally do. Ryan, sorry, kind of hijacked it, just went with it. You can go first fully. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you got in your uh, golden coolie? In my golden coolie. Th- thanks for pointing that out, uh, Thorny. We can't say koozie anymore. It's a it's one of those trademark words. Yeah, it's so, trademark. Uh, We're gonna go ahead and switch that to Cooley now, which just doesn't have the is same it really? to it. Yes. Yeah. That's, they, there's no way. Who 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 Bic. filed that? Did Bic Bic Razors? Yeah. Bic Razors has the term koozie under lock. Well, they, yeah, they have a whole <laughs> really? they have a whole product line of official like koozies. Like there's a branded koozie and the, yeah. the same Bic that makes the pens, the, yeah. the crappy one dollar pens. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh. So the things you learn when you start to monetize your podcast, right? Right. We'll send you some uh, golden coolies uh, in the mail 
uh, coming up uh, this week. But uh, oh, first, what's in mind? Yeah, man, it, they're 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 quite the item, the the hot <laughs> thing for our neck hat. Uh, anyway, we'll get to him. I'm called the IP from O'Fallon Brewing Company, and that's out of St. Louis, Missouri. How'd you get a Missouri beer up way up here? I'm glad you asked. Well, <laughs> I uh, I helped my buddy get a job in a middle school just recently, and uh, kind of gave him some advice and uh, an end into the position. And to thank me, he ordered me 12 beers that just showed up on my doorstep. And uh, it's it's like this beer company, and they pick random beers across the United States. And so I got a 12-pack of some stuff from St. Louis and, I believe, Wisconsin. So I'm drinking O'Fallon 5-Day IPA. How is it? Very generic IPA. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all right, though. It's going down. Well, they all do the same thing in the end. Yeah, there you go. Well, I got one of your favorites. I got the Sierra Nevada paper. I was target night. Pretty excited to pick up here. Like, oh, I always fail that. And yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's quite delicious. No complaints here. Attaboy. How about you, Joe? What do you got over there? Uh, I wish I had as an elaborate of a story behind mine and something unique, but uh, I'm actually drinking a White Claw. Uh, I am. I was previously. Actually, I'm still fat. Uh, so I'm trying to cut down on anything that's heavy in calories. I, I kind of been following a trend with Sean here, drinking a lot of seltzers. So uh, White Claw is easily one of the best ones out there. I'm drinking the raspberry flavored one. Nice. <laughs> no Dorney, have you had a White Claw before? Of course. Yeah, I've had White Claws. I've never had Very a White refreshing. Claw. You haven't? Hmm. No. No. He doesn't like lawlessness. There's <laughs> 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 no laws. Right on. How about you, Sean? You know, Joe tried to throw me under the bus with the seltzer um, cabal, but uh, I'm not going <laughs> to fall there. I'm drinking a Bud Light Platinum. So, you know, Ooh. not just the uh, the regular uh, Bud Light, which is my which my on-deck drink, as you guys referred to it as, uh, but the, uh, <laughs> the Platinum out of the beautiful blue bottle. Nice. No complaints there either. That's always a solid choice. I like Bud Light. I like, I like pretty much every beer in the market, really. But uh, when for the show, we try and do something fancier a little bit, but... It'll, also, a lot of times, I know that we drink Miller Lite and Coors Light. So, <laughs> so what? Hold on, I want to know what differentiates a Budweiser from a Bud Light Platinum. Uh, Bud Light Platinum six percent, Budweiser five percent. Obviously, they're all owned by Anheuser Busch. Um, there you go. But you know, Budweiser is Mark Bandit. If um, you know how all these Bonahead's extra light Heller yeah. Miller 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 Budweiser Budweiser. They had the, the Budweiser last year. I did a. a with Jim Beam last summer. Those tasted like soy sauce. Um, but uh, Bud Light is just a standard 4.1% alcohol uh, percentage, and the Bud Light Platinum is 6%. So it's well, just like a That's premium a version answer. with a little bit more alcohol, but not necessarily malt liquor territory. Yep. Where is it? Right, no. It, not like it, steel it, reserve. Somehow they... Right, not steel. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> yeah, so just today... Uh, uh, a big news story that came out was the Ivy League postponing all fall sports, maybe indefinitely for the year. Uh, so we were going to just put that on on the plate and talk about like what that might look for the other conferences as well and the Power Five and the trickle down effect to even smaller FBS programs and how that would then trickle into the FCS. 
Sounds good. Why don't we start with our guest here, uh, Sean? What what did you think about this announcement? And was it that they were postponed, or was the Ivy League actually straight up canceled the fall classes with the potential they could be moved to spring? I guess yeah, maybe it was a, a cancellation with, with the potential. I think obviously, if if some miracle were to happen, they could always uh, try to reverse it, set it up later. But the real trick here is that uh, Harvard, and there was another one. I think it was either Yale or Princeton. They're sending freshmen and juniors to campus for the fall semesters and then sophomores and seniors to campus for the spring semesters. So if they continue with that plan of action, no matter which way you look at it, it's not just the fall sports that are getting cut. It's the um, the, the the spring sports also. Uh, so that just doesn't it, 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 it'll set up the Ivies for you can't play, uh, say, softball in the spring and only have sophomores and seniors there on the team. So it does not look necessarily good uh, as the out, out, outcome is, uh, of the Ivies, but I also know that Joe um, has a little more information on some of the other smaller conference FCS schools. Uh, yeah, I, I think that the, the – and I tweeted this earlier today. I, I think that this Ivy League decision to cancel, postpone, whatever it is, is a really significant domino. Some people might just think that, oh, it's one small conference, lots of places wide, and then the FCS saying, well, the I, maybe we should consider doing it as well. Where we would look bad if other conferences are following suit and we don't make the same decision. All it takes is one team to do it, and then enough teams could possibly follow. I would not be surprised at all if we end up with FCS getting moved to the spring or some type of a situation where there is no FCS season and some of the top players are granted some form of transfer waiver so they can go play for bigger programs. There's too much uncertainty right now, but I can tell you right now, this Ivy League conference cancellation for football and fall sports is a lot more simple than people meant. I'm not so bad. I kind of waver before. The Ivy League creates an FCS team. They're their own little entity. They don't participate in the playoffs. And obviously, they just kind of view football a little bit differently there, even though they have some very quality teams and players for sure. They just they just kind of do their own thing. So I don't think I don't know if this is necessarily going to be like it was for the the conference tournaments for the NCAA basketball, where one conference started it and like oh well everyone else do it. There's our own about right now back then. I think there's a fear that everyone's cancel, and I don't think the Ivy really has that driving prestige factor that the influence over the FCS landscape that that maybe some of the other like if that you know the, some of the big basketball tournaments started canceling each other like well the Big Sky Conference of course they're going to cancel it the big guys are doing it but you know the Big Sky Conference is a much bigger more prominent conference than the Ivy League so you know I I just don't know how that's going to work but I could totally see both sides of it, it makes me nervous one way or yeah. the other that it's just <laughs> it's all bad signs there's there's no way to spin it positively I just don't know how big of an impact it'll have. And the thing, though, with with what's happening now, the reasoning's different. I, I understand where you're coming from, but the the reasoning now is not for protective reasons and trying to keep players safe. We know the precautions necessary to do so, but the problem is the financial impact is significant. To do all that testing, get masks, the necessary precautions for travel, it would be too much financial strain on a conference like the Ivy Leagues that is still relatively small. But compared to some of these other FCS conferences like the Pioneer League or the NEC, I would argue the Ivy League probably has better financial standing than some of those tiny conferences. 
So conferences like that that really can't afford to handle the structure needed for a successful season to occur. I, I just I think that there there would be a, a, at least a handful of handful of conferences that try to cancel. And I think pretty much every conference right now is weighing their options and if they can even afford to do do this upcoming year. Who else has started canceling games? It was a uh, is it Fordham that I, that I saw canceling some uh, games. Fordham canceled the Hawaii game, and that game that that makes sense because you have to fly all the way to Hawaii from New York, New York City. I think that's just trying to alleviate a long trip. Realistically, you can make this work if you stick to the games where you only have to travel travel by bus that are in close proximity to your to your main campus. So the the Hawaii game dropping is is not that surprising to me. Well, well Joe, what about uh, bus trips uh, from Kingston, Rhode Island, down to Towson, Maryland? Are those I, I still mean, doable? The, I guess they're still doable, even though it was seven hours. <laughs> <laughs> what a nightmare! <laughs> yeah. Fun little side story on that. Uh, a little funny story about Portland State. I don't know if you've listened to anything about their new their head coach Bruce Barnum. Probably one of the funniest guys you'll ever listen to. His first year taking over the team as interim head coach, he decided. We're bussing everywhere because we're going to build team chemistry from Portland, oh, no. Portland all the way down to Ogden, Portland all the way over to like Missoula, Portland and everywhere. Bus, 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 bus. So can you imagine? Is this a league of their own? <laughs> the, that's not team chemistry. You hate everyone on the bus when you're on the bus oh, for that long. Sean the, knows I almost came to blows with people who were putting their feet near me and, and, and kicking back their chairs too much. It, there is no team okay. chemistry being built from that. That was the, the weird resent- year that yeah. Portland State caught lightning in a bottle, went nine and two, and made it the playoffs, though. So I, yeah. that was not because of the bus rides. There's no way in hell that's because of the bus ride. You de- you develop such a strong resentment for your brother next to you, and yeah. for the long bus rides, thank goodness uh, they they allowed the linemen, the offensive linemen, two seats uh, per person, which I was very uh, grateful for. But even if we were going um, three hours, it's a nightmare, and you're just sleeping next on the guy next to you. And all the skill players, the skill players are so uppity. They're like, oh, I'm not going to sit next to a lineman. So now it's just still, it's lineman next to lineman on the buses. Yeah. And you, <laughs> you just cannot slow, believe that this happened. You get happened. on the bus slow. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just begging for a, a, one of our 5'8", 170-pound receivers, please sit next to me. And who do I end up next to? One of them 300-pound. And it will the top. Just no more no <laughs> so a couple of things here fully i want to i want to get your last parting thought before we move on from the COVID stuff and then i actually want to get into who exactly joe and sean are because we haven't inter- properly introduced them yet so everyone listening is like what are these guys talking about? we need to get part of your widget it as in the show don't always get to what we're talking about so introduce uh fully got any parting thoughts on the COVID situation in the ivy leagues yeah it's just i read an article from Col- colton pool from the bozeman daily chronicle today and he was outlining uh, the Big Sky Commissioner Tom Wistershill's thoughts on just this, what we're talking about right now. And I got to believe all these commissioners across the United States right now are just like, just sitting in probably some tension going, okay, look what the Ivy League did. Who's next? And <laughs> if we look at this as kind of like this domino effect, and that's kind of what it felt like in March, right? When everything was like, okay, well, this was canceled. Okay, these guys, it's kind of next week. Leon Costello was echoing those same sentiments. They went they went from like interviews, what, a month ago saying, we're 100% sure we're going to be playing football to now coming out saying, nope, we're like 50-50 right now. So I think everybody's just in this holding pattern. And now essentially 
the Ivy League took the first swing and what's going to happen thereafter, I, I really don't know. So I, I don't have a positive feeling on it. I think it's going to be something that we as fans don't really like, but that's just how I feel. One thing I did, uh, I didn't read the article, but I think I gleaned uh, a tweet from maybe Colton or Paul Schwedelson that uh, MSU has stopped the uh, voluntary football workouts currently. Was that in the article? No, I did not read that. I thought I read that, that currently like they've uh, kind of stopped the voluntary workouts, which mm. is not a positive sign in itself. <laughs> no, no. All right. Well, that was a fun discussion about virus and canceling football. Um, let's get into <laughs> some uh, other fun stuff. First of all, I want to probably fully introduce our guests. So they were, you heard them talking a little bit about bus rides and being on the football team. So I'm sure you kind of gathered that. I did, we did mention in the beginning that they played for Rhode Island, but why don't you guys tell us a little bit about more about what it is that you guys do and, and your college experience, maybe playing for, for Rhode Island, just a, kind of a general broad, you know, what was it like playing for an FCS program and how did that shape just your opinion of the SES and maybe transition into why are you podcasting about the FCS? Very loaded question, very long question. We're pretty bad at interviews. Uh, <laughs> why don't you go first, Joe? Why don't you tackle that massive question? Um, I, I think you guys should give yourselves more credit than than you're giving yourselves. I'm having a lot of fun here. I, there's not a lot of shows that I can go on and, and announce that I'm drinking alcohol while I'm doing it. I, I've done radio appearances. I can't exactly do that on a, uh, a radio <laughs> appearance. But We hope I, if I everyone might... has a few drinks, then uh, it makes it... They don't uh, critique us too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a good philosophy. It's a comedy club tactic. <laughs> um, so uh, my experience playing at the FCS level, playing at URI, I played for four seasons, uh, technically three and a half, because I didn't step in until halfway through my fun year. was our ship or two of those in, and they played a goal, pursuing an opportunity to keep playing, have an agent, all that good stuff. But um, waiting on an opportunity, a lot of guys that, that went unsigned, were relying on rookie mini camps, but lost out on any chances to do so because of uh, of COVID and what's going on right now. Um, in terms of the reasoning why we kind of got into this, Sean and I had started doing our own audio work together. We were practicing and, and learning. We were roommates. Our sophomore year, we started doing our own stuff. We took classes together that were audio related, and we were just trying fi- trying to find ways to break into the media sphere in a professional sense. The way that we did that was reaching out to believe when they first started, they were hiring, they were looking for uh, former athletes of notable levels. There's a lot of big name guys that are currently with the network. And it's honestly so amazing to say that we are a part of this network as that, that part, that group of former athletes. And we, when we reached out to Braun at believe um, we had this dialogue and this conversation of how can we contribute? What ways can we, put together a show and the best way that we came about that was covering the entire FCS, having the ability to talk about all 132 teams or the 126 teams. Sean knows that number, all the teams at the FCS level. I think it's 128 now. 128, Sean, you are right. Um, but being able to talk about every single team, every single fan base, touch upon the big storylines and be able to talk about the big major programs as well as shine light on maybe some of the smaller ones that don't get as much notoriety. It also definitely came uh, as a plus that we played at that level um, and and playing at that level, it, it, we, we both had our ups and downs when it came to recruiting. And when Rhode Island came and visited me, I was super excited, but there were two other schools in Virginia that I definitely had my eyes on and Rhode Island 
Uh, they kept the spot open for me, which I was super appreciative of. And then we just did that path from there. And I started to realize and look around like, hey, you know, this is real football. This is real football. My freshman year, it was no question that I was going to have to redshirt. And I redshirted and had to bulk up and put on weight and do all the, do the, do the whole thing. And then you're just looking around and you see scouts at practice and you see, you're like, you know, it, you start learning and we start doing this FCS show and it, you, you develop such an appreciation for FCS football, given the, 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 how big the chips are on the shoulders of the guys that play in it. And that's not excluding Joe and myself, uh, you know, FBS schools turned to, turned down just about everybody in our locker room. And, you know, that, that doesn't go unnoticed or unremembered. So it, it was just an overall positive experience from us going through, I, at points, you know, just turmoil, heartbreak in that recruiting process and to turn it into something positive. And I'm just excited that we're giving back in some form of positivity towards the FCS community. Kind of my impression of the S- FCS players has always kind of been, if you're playing in the FCS, you just, you love football. I think that's just kind of what it boils down to. You're playing because you love to play. Uh, I would say that that's a, a fair assumption, but I, at the same time, I think it's a lot of guys that not only love to play, but are talented enough to play and just went a little bit unnoticed by some of these huge programs, guys that maybe were dealing with academic issues and couldn't really stick at a program like Clemson or Notre Dame because of uh, academic problems, uh, or maybe something that they, a hurdle that they encountered and they needed to rely on. Yeah. Late, the perfect example is a late bloomer. We had Jeremy chin on the show. And when we talked to him and I had a conversation with him, I said, what, what do you think was the, the biggest reason why you chose an FCS school? And he told me when he was in high school for a long period of time, he was barely six feet tall. And during this whole draft process, actually he was like five, nine or something his junior year. I forget what the exact number was. And the whole NFL draft process, everyone was talking about how he's so big and he can move for a guy that is 6'3 as a safety. So he hit a late growth spurt. Same thing with Adam Troutman, who came on the show as well. Guys just hit these late growth spurts and they develop later than some other players and they really get to take advantage of uh, uh, these FCS schools get to take advantage of those guys. I think a pretty big name in that kind of category would be Dallas Goddard. He kind of was that... uh just a scrawny high school kid from South Dakota, like two ten, coming into yeah. <laughs> That's how it works. And then the 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 major major blue chip FBS schools. I mean, they're they're going after guys that are grown men by sophomore year of high school. You know, that's it's just different. People develop differently, and the FCS is kind of that. I I hate the term island of misfit toys, but island of misfit toys. And then you go and you find that this is an island full of gold. Uh, there's some absolute talent at the level, whether it be like you said, guys looking for second chances or maybe just late bloomers or just in Montana's case, you just got guys that are straight up dudes, but you're, you're playing in Dillon, Montana. Like who's going to come recruit Dillon, Montana. It was like, it's a town of like 2000 people. And that's like Troy Anderson was a man coming out of high school. If he's, if he's anywhere else, he, that kid's going to FBS program for sure. But he's just come, small town, Montana. I think that's one of the reasons that the Montana schools can continually have success is because there's just that constant stream of small town talent in Montana that just no one's going to come recruit. I mean, you'll get a on a big program. They're up like the Boise States, like receiving records coming from Helena, Montana. But, you know, small town Montana guys are just going to really help the programs. And that's, that's just all part of it. And it's a fun part. And I, it's just a fun part of covering FCS and being a fan of FCS. 
So, so Joe and Sean, I do have a question for you guys. As far as the FCS goes, how do you think the transfer portal is now affecting mm-hmm. FCS football? Good question. Uh, I think that the the transfer portal, some people kind of consider if you're at the FCS, you're going to try and transfer at some point. I only see that for rare exceptions. Like Trey Lance, if he decides to stick around after this this year and not declare for the draft, he's not going to end up going in the transfer portal because he's so talented. He's going to stick around and play till his senior year if he chooses to do so. Jabril Cox did it because uh, he was, I believe, a redshirt junior. And he knew that instead of staying at North Dakota State, where he'd get the same level of exposure, still probably would have been a first-round pick, he can go play for LSU and get a little bit of extra uh, opportunities to get noticed, play against bigger competition, all that good stuff. I, I don't think we're going to see a ton of guys doing it. There, it's it's kind of a rare exception. Guys think that they're better than they are in some cases, and maybe they transfer to an FBS program, but a really small one. It's just an added complication to college football recruiting as many guys that are going to move up there's going to be tons of talented talented dudes that say oh i'm sick of playing at this fbs program that i'm at i'm not getting the touches that i want think that they're going to go to another big program and then end up having to move down the fcs there's going to be just a swapping of talent levels from both ends you see joe i almost have to contrast you because after we i see i've seen pretty positive influence of that transfer portal and it no one's got the wool over their eyes enough to say, oh, you're, you're, you're going to get the same exposure in the CAA as you would in the uh, Big Ten or SEC. Whereas in the offensive line room that I was in year before I came in, Tyler Catalina, four-year starter, yeah. uh, transferred to Georgia. Second year I was there, David Steinmetz, uh, three-year starter, transferred to Purdue. Next year, Dino Boyd, off, uh, all three offensive tackles, uh, transfer to Cincinnati. All three have... Uh, been on NFL rosters. Uh, Dave is still on it uh, with the Texans. Uh, Tyler so is, Dino. is uh, uh, Dino is with the Bears right now. And then I know Tyler spent plenty of time with the the Redskins and the um, and the uh, Vikings. And I think he's either floating around uh, Canada. Or I, I actually think he got picked up by somebody else. I can't remember. But those guys were awarded that opportunity to play against the top touted edge rushers in the nation. And that's something, at least from an offensive line standpoint, you can't overlook. It, 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 no matter how good the pass rushers are in uh, the FCS, the FBS pass rushers are just the most extreme athletes that you're going to face. So if you can hold your own against them, you're going to have a, a infinitely better shot of getting seen. If you can't hold your own, own against them, that's tough. That's tough luck. But regardless, I've seen at least in my room uh, the positives that was that was brought about the transfer porter. It's just interesting because it can go both ways. Like you said, like some guys right. might think they're better, better than they are. Uh, kind of an example, I guess, a little bit from the Big Sky Conference was Gage Gubrud over at Eastern Washington was breaking all sorts of Eastern Washington records, which is a pretty impressive place to break records. Decided to try his hand, transfer over to Wazoo for grad, grad transfer for senior season and season and did not win the starting job. And, and they ended his season, his senior season just sitting on the bench and I don't even know if he got a snap in instead of coming back for a senior year and potentially taking Eastern to a national championship. Uh, he went on and didn't even get any playing time. And I feel bad for the kid, but I mean, he, he took a shot and that's what happens. So you just gotta, you gotta weigh your options carefully. I have no idea. Another case that came up, Kevin Thompson. I have no idea if he's going to win a starting job at uh, UW. He certainly got mm-hmm. an opportunity. They don't have much returning, but again, man, there's, there's just, there's a lot of talent on those rosters, young talent. And I would hate to see a guy like Kevin Thompson who took 
Sac State, like their first playoff appearance in forever, if not yeah, ever. Ever. Yeah, first <laughs> ever, playoff yeah. appearance ever. Yeah. And he just he he takes a chance that first chance he gets back to hometown area and I get I get all that. It's just it just makes me kind of sad a little bit as a fan of the Big Side Conference and seeing programs like that on the rise and you know, is he gonna even have an opportunity to play? We'll we'll, we'll see, but <laughs> so it just goes both ways. All right. Well, let's move on to maybe some Montana State football tech talk. You guys uh up for that? Yeah, Definitely. of course. Of course. All right. So, Sean, what what did you think? First of all, I just want to ask you a little bit about the 2019 Bobcats that reached the semifinal for the first time in 35 years, all that good stuff. What did you think of the 2019 Bobcat squad? Uh, two words exceeded expectations. Uh, obviously, we're still I, I wouldn't I, I call us still novices to the FCS landscape. But going into the season, it was definitely um, we knew about Montana. We knew about uh, the powerhouses in the big sky. At Montana State, it was uh, it, it seemed it, like um, maybe they make the playoffs, maybe they wouldn't, and it, them destroying Albany in the was just major shit. And being also steamed was just hell, but hell. But you know they they throw all face North State. That is, but they weren't faults on time. North Dakota last year and two you know tough high ranking uh, matchups, but they also beat in the regular season Cal Poly. You know it's. Obviously, Cal Poly wasn't the Cal Poly that we were expecting, but at the same time, I, I, they just continuously, it was a roller coaster, but I'd say most of the time it was a positive trending roller coaster. I'd also say that the Montana State football team from 2019 was such a good defensive unit. You got mm-hmm. Bryce Sterk, who I feel was the, not the leader, but the best player representing that that team. They were so driven by defensive uh, performances, being able to slow down some quality offenses throughout the year. I, I think that the fact that they're losing a lot of guys like Bryce Sterk, and then also the fact that you're you're not getting back uh, Troy Anderson, there's just a lot of players that were top returners on that defense that are not coming back, which kind of draws some uh, concern for me when when talking about next season leading into 2020. I mean, DB depth alone, they're losing three corners yep. and one safety and Damian Washington, Greg Filer and Jojo Henderson, and then Braden Conkle uh, at safety. I mean, this is just, it, you can never get enough DB depth, but at the same time, you can never get enough uh, senior DB depth. So Greg Filer actually is coming back. He was- uh, Oh, is he really? Yeah, he was a senior preseason all-conference <laughs> guy. I think he played, what, fully, you want to say like two games? This yeah, year. he came back for about two. That's right. He's injured most of the year, so he actually he was able to redshirt, I believe, because he had not redshirted yet anywhere. But regardless, he's coming back, so that's pretty exciting because he, he's considered. I think he's one of the better lockdown corners. Like man to man press coverage beats you up. He's like six one, one eighty, one ninety, pretty tall, lanky guy. So pretty excited to have him back. Uh, but yeah, you're right. the The safeties are the biggest concern between JoJo Henderson who was the third guy but played a ton and was a like a, probably a starter on half the FCS schools in the country. And then we got Braden Conkle and then Jockway Allen. Like that's, that, those are going to be the hard ones to replace. Absolutely. You mentioned, uh, I just kind of curious, what was the East Coast take on Albany? Uh, on Albany. They also, uh, out of nowhere. Uh, Joe, I, uh, I'll let yeah. you take this one, uh, but go ahead. I was very out of nowhere because the the previous seasons playing against Albany, it was the constant 
a bottom feeder in the CAA. But we were bad, but we were always like good enough to feeder. beat them. Yeah, this is yeah. coming from one of the worst teams in <laughs> CAA. We were always capable of beating them for a couple of years. And then this past year, we go and play them towards the middle of the season, and they completely dismantled us. They, they're running game with Carl Mofer, and then an elite quarterback with Jeff Undercuffler, who was a mm. freshman last year. So mm. unexpected. They hit the ground running at the very second stretch of the season. I would argue their win over us was part of the ignition to their momentum. Uh, I'm not, it's not like I'm trying to give I, yeah. us some credit for why they did so well, but, but dude, they, they, yeah. they were the springboard. So no big deal. Exactly. They finished <laughs> so strong. I, I would, I would give us more credit because the year before our junior year, we, we beat them like 48 to seven. Yeah. We kicked or something the crap like that. Out we, of them. We, we crushed them. And then we're yeah. like, Oh, Albany's going to be the doormat now. And then, you know, 2019 happens. We're like, oh, we're I guess still not. the doormat. <laughs> <laughs> just looking for someone else to take the reins, and it's just it's, it suck. I, I did have some um, s- historical stats on Rhode Island that I wasn't going to mention necessarily. Just to- oh no, no, just uh, her oh, feelings. Just get I mean, now you no, you brought it up. I mean, yeah, but, I got to hear them. If well, it's something I haven't heard, I'm going to be. Disappointed, I'm, I don't think but, it's anything you haven't heard. I think I just read that what there's been four winning seasons since '85. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we were part of one of them. <laughs> there you go. There, there <laughs> That's you go. all that matters to me. <laughs> I did have a trivia question for you, though. Uh, who was the last team the Bob gets beat in a semifinal game? You probably know the it answer. Was, it was Rhode Island. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I I remember seeing footage of that game. Our uh, head coach, uh, Jim Fleming, He was it him, Sean, or was it the, the group of alumni that, that pulled up a, a YouTube clip from that game when Donnie. they played the— it was probably Donnie, uh, who was our quality control coach. He they pulled up a clip of uh, that MSU Rhode Island game back in the eighties. That was when the yeah I remember seeing the you know all those obnoxious plays like the interception. But that was when Rhode Island had rocked the yellow in the uniform. I wish they would bring it back. Just at least a little tease of it. I don't need the yeah, whole blue something. and yellow. Just I just need one tease uniform. Yeah. The cats have kind of brought back those uniforms, the 84 championship, because that was the year we won the national championship. So that was like the bring back those throwback uniforms from time to time. And they're, they're pretty cool to see them like in like high definition or live in person. They're, they're pretty sharp. Just that kind of old school, mm-hmm. bright yellow chargers, old chargers kind of colors almost a little bit. So oh, I do like those. I'm looking at them right now. I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> Ryan. I didn't mean to step on you. I like the, the blue and the, the, the royal blue and the yellow. Yeah, you'll have to look at fantastic. Uh, what year was that fully that we did the throwbacks? Uh, it was Dakota Prukop, so 2014? Yeah, somewhere in the teens. Yeah, um, we had it. Well, we yeah, did it twice, actually. We did it with Kramer as well. Um, but that was uh, with and Dixie State came in. and uh, oh, that's Chad Danny Woodhead. It was stupid or Danny Chad Woodhead. Ron, yeah. yeah, Danny Woodhead ran <laughs> wild all over us. I've never heard hate for Danny Woodhead like that. that was <laughs> awesome. oh, he came in and ran for like 273 yards. The next week, oh after we had beaten Colorado, the Buffs down in Boulder, we come back and just lose to Danny Woodhead. <laughs> yeah, so it was horrible. <laughs> That's I will fantastic. say anything beats the throwback Montana uniforms. Those are easily the most disgusting uniforms, I, I think, in the sport of football. You mean that like burnt copper garbage? Uh, it's I don't even know if I'd call it burnt copper. It's like a, a mushy orange and oh, brown. that's vile. That's yeah. that's that's, that's very. We, we appreciate this kind of banter here because uh, <laughs> those are ugly. And I'm it's glad like a liquid that would drip out of your car. <laughs> 
is disgusting. I just found our intro to this episode, gentlemen. Yeah, I was just about to say that's our outro. <laughs> and they're, they're perfect fan right away. <laughs> so, Thorny, I do want to kind of build off uh, a question that we were just asking. We were talking about the playoffs with um, Albany. So you guys see Albany come into Bobcat Stadium. Bobcats take care of business. Austin P comes in the next week. And you guys get to see uh, Montana State from the distance, from, from ESPN, the crowd. What do you guys think when you see Montana State in, in the atmosphere that we have? So it's interesting that the you kind of hinted on the the Albany game and seeing Montana State play Albany. I, I could tell immediately at the beginning of that game that they were in very foreign territory, that they had to travel all the way to Montana in a, a stadium packed with rabid fans. I, I just I knew that that environment is not an environment that you want to face on the road, especially in the playoffs. It just seems mm-hmm. like I, I wouldn't really expect because I didn't watch a lot of live Montana State games because we were playing on Saturdays. But yeah. I can just tell that Montana State fans are so passionate about their their team because there's no other college uh, football programs beti- besides Montana in the state. There's no FBS programs to root for. These are your programs. So you guys are all in on on the Montana State program. There's something about the the people from the Badlands and in the Midwest that just don't care about the cold. Sometimes on the East Coast, people get a little chilly. They don't turn out to games as much. Whereas out there, uh, they, they, I'm looking at it. I'm like, this is this is freezing cold. I I don't even think if I was a Montana State fan, I'd be out there. I'm just not not built like that. But you guys, you, I mean, you guys turned out. It was it was an awesome atmosphere to see. I'm like, this is college football right here. This is awesome. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the, go ahead. Go, Okay, yeah, I I just love when we get into the playoff system and they're allowed to have these night games in in late November, early December. Yeah. There's just something like magical when you when you see an ESPN crew come to a to your campus and you know they normally are not there and just the lights come on and the energy is just palpable and it's just fun to watch, regardless if you've been there or if you're all the way across the nation in Rhode Island. So it's just pretty cool. Well, mm. night games in in November, December definitely cold, but night games yeah. mean you've also been pre gaming for a long time, gentlemen. <laughs> well, I was thinking about that You're today. A little bit warmer. Like, if we move, if we move football to the spring, and let's say we're starting February, uh, first game in February, like, it's gonna be ugly, man. It's gonna be <laughs> snowing. It'll be snowing. Yeah, I mean Montana State has canceled spring football. Of, in a couple uh, seasons now, I know that's not true, but our coach is famously not in favor of spring football. Yeah, he's not a fan. Uh, our our seasons in Montana State in Montana, yeah, because it's, it's probably not even spring football. It's probably <laughs> winter, winter football during yeah, the spring. Exactly, exactly. So you guys get it. Here it is. One last thing on. Uh, I just wanted to say on the Albany thing, where we're still kind of talking a little bit about it. I remember watching their game against uh, was it Central Connecticut State University? Yes, that's who it was. Yep. CCSU. <laughs> uh, just watching them like hit those slant patterns, they just kept hitting over the middle and taking it to the house. I'm starting to watch it. Like they're not going to do that against the Bobcats. They're just not <laughs> going to do that. Our defense was locking down. So I, I, I'm glad you asked that question fully because I had really no nothing. To, I didn't know anything about Albany except for watching briefly their game and a little bit. Uh, statistics of Jeff Undercuffler, but I'm glad uh, you asked them a, a team that may have seen them is familiar with them. 
you know, what they thought of them. So it was, that was a good question. And uh, yeah, that was, that was a fun game to watch us just kind of just slowly mm-hmm. clamp down on Albany and just squeeze them the life out of them. <laughs> For sure. Well, let's move on to the upcoming year. Um, we mentioned all the losses. We kind of talked a lot about them. Do you think MSU is now kind of a program that you see those kind of losses and you think like, well, Montana State just reloads. That's just what they do. Or are the cats just not quite to that level yet? Um, just kind of what, what do you think of something like that? Maybe, Sean, what do you think? Reloading is in uh, roster talent and, and recruiting. Yeah. Like, we, yeah, we have all these key losses like Bryce Sturk and Jock Allen on the back end. Like, is that, do you know, like, you just kind of trust that MSU is at, at that kind of level where you don't worry about it? Or are those still concerns? Good programs find a way to recruit good players. And Montana State has a good reputation and they have a, a good foundation and they, they get to say, hey, man, uh, especially this year, we're playing at Utah this year. You get to play in front of, you know, 50,000 people out there. And, and that's something that, that catches the eye of uh, FCS level prospects, something that says, hey, you know, we'll, we'll get to play, you know, we'll play Cal Poly, we'll play Weber State, Montana, we'll do all this. But also, you know, you're going to get some exposure if you come to us. You know, it's not just going to be like your opener here against LIU. It's not just going to be that. You're going to get to play in front of crowds. You're going to be seen. You're going to see the track record that we have of producing quality athletes to, to be primed for the next level. I think that good programs like Montana State are going to be uh, in good shape for recruiting for time to come. I'm I'm in the same boat that I know that Montana State is a good program. They recruited pretty well this year. The thing that does concern me, though, is that they have enough losses to maybe not significantly impact them, but to at least hinder them. I already mentioned all the defensive players. We already kind of combed over that. But a lot of the top returning receivers and your top rusher are no longer on the team. Isaiah Fonzi is returning. I'm a big fan of Afonzi and what he's capable of doing as a running back. I'm confident that he can be your RB1 and be very productive. But, uh, I mean, Coy Steele, who had 334 yards last year, is your most leading receiver coming back. And Tucker Rovig didn't exactly torch defenses with the receiving group you had last year. So I, I don't know if, if Rovig is going to be able to handle a new group of receivers unless you have some type of a wild card that we're not really aware of that hasn't really shown himself yet. I, I think Ro- Rovig does not have the supporting cast, I think, to throw for more than 150 yards per game, which is what he averaged last year. See, I find that hard to kind of believe a little bit because we're such a run-first team that we haven't really tested or relied, had to rely upon our receivers. And so one of our questions was, and you're just hitting on it right now, is like, mm-hmm. what are your impressions of Rovig? And he, I mean, he's kind of a polarizing quarterback for the Bobcats. A lot of us, you know, are in his camp, and then a lot of them are out of the camp. And then Montana State brings in transfer from North Carolina State, Matt McKay. We get a new offensive coordinator, Justin Udy, out of Texas Tech. And so without even seeing anybody in spring ball, this is a huge question mark. I, for yeah. me personally, like Tucker Rovig, I'm kind of in his camp. Like I think he's a guy that, uh, like I was listening to your old episode, and I think you guys said it just just as well. Is he, if he plays this year, he's not going to do any worse than he did last year, and he consistently got better throughout the year this year, specifically when he got into the 
the playoffs in in November. He did he did phenomenal, but he didn't do phenomenal in in the, in the way that you're like, wow, he was really leading the team to wins. He was just really managing the game well, and then mm-hmm. he was making some throws where like, okay, okay, that's that's an improvement. So is he able to take the next step? Is MSU going to ask him to take the next step? That's the biggest question I have. And then juxtapose that with, okay, this Matt McKay guy coming in, he's has maybe a different skill set, kind of more of a, a runner, but also a passer. So there's this question marks all over for uh, Montana State. But when you're looking at Tucker Rovig, I think if MSU sticks with him, uh, they're not going to be any worse for the wear. And I would, you know, if, if he's our QB1 going into fall camp, or going into the season, I'd be completely comfortable with him. Yeah, I, put, you, oh, go ahead, I was just going to say that you made a good point about how this Montana State team was very run first. You, you didn't need to throw for more than 150 yards because you had a, a two-back tandem that was so productive last year. You lose one of those guys, Fonzie is the top guy returning. You can rely on a Fonzie to exceed that 800 yards that he rushed for last year. I think whoever you have under center just needs to manage the game like you talked about. I don't think that this Montana State offense is a stretch the field. And uh, you, you mentioned there's a new offensive coordinator. I, I don't can't imagine that they will be trying to stretch the field and beat teams over the top. It is going to be a lot of pound the rock, uh, run the ball on first and second down, move the ball in an old-fashioned, effective, two-tight-end type way before you decide to stretch the field with Tucker Rovig. He's just not that type of a quarterback. And some of the other the, the other guy from NC State that's coming in, I don't really know what he is going to bring to the table. I, I would assume that Rovig would probably have the highest advantage because he's the returning starter. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put too much stock into the into the FBS transfers i've seen people get all hot in the britches because they see they got an fbs transfer they start talking a lot (laughs) and then he gets he gets there and it just doesn't pan out exactly as you hoped he was you know you expect them to be uh, nc state you're expecting to be the next philip rivers but uh, odds are he's not going to be and fcs you don't necessarily need a philip rivers you need a guy that can go into the playoffs and win a couple games and that's what i see from robic he won a couple games last year uh, that's a huge, huge plus for me. He's got experience in game, and he's also got experience in playoff games, and that's uh, you can't replace that with anything. Well, let me ask you this: So, the Rovig led the team all the way to the semifinals. Do you think Rovig is capable of leading to the Bobcats to a national championship? I think that 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 leans on the defense. This team obviously runs through the defense in the run game, so it, it, I don't think it'll ever maybe until junior, senior year, until he's really starting to come into his own as a quarterback and finds his quarterback identity. Uh, it will be him leading the team. I think it's always going to be defensive-centric there at Montana State. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as Sean. I, I don't think that Rovig is the type of player that is going to lead you to a championship. I think that the run game, the defense, is going to be your primary identity, and Rovig will be essentially trying not to lose you the games. I know that sounds very negative. It's not going to be his mentality, but you just need him to do enough to progress the offense forward. It's kind of like Joe Flacco when the Ravens won the Super Bowl back in 2012. They had such a good defensive unit. I believe Ray Rice was still on the team. They ran the ball so well, but you knew that 
Joe Flacco wasn't going to kill you. You know, he wasn't going to beat you deep. You know, he wasn't going to uh, be a defining factor. He still won the MVP in that game. I think a lot of people would argue he wasn't the most worthy of winning the MVP in that game, but it, it was a matter of what led them down that path that season was the defense and was the running game. I was going to say either early two th- uh, 2010 Seahawks or the That's recent 49ers. You know, it, it's not a, it's not a bad thing to have a defense leading a team. It sends a, a message of, hey, we're going to punch you in the mouth. And I think that's what Montana State prides itself on. The cats were so good defensively down the stretch. Like, I remember we were kind of calculating some manual stats, like uh, just how, like the few touchdowns, like they gave up like four touchdowns over stretches, like six games. And one of them was a tr- on a trick play. And like there was just some like couple of asterisks you could even put on the few touchdowns they did give up. So the cats are definitely defense first team with Jeff Choate or run first team with Jeff Choate. Uh, the thing we question a lot on this podcast is does Jeff Choate have any idea what he's doing with the quarterbacks? <laughs> it's every single year <laughs> is a, it's always a controversy. It's always a discussion topic. We're kind of tired of talking about it. I mean, we had Troy Anderson playing quarterback for a whole year. Uh, just, just crazy single wing, single wing offense in 2018. Made the playoffs, so eh, what are you gonna do? But it's just it's it's interesting to see what the cats have done being a defensive first team and just kind of having an explosive running game. Like you're talking about, uh, you did mention that the cats are explosive running the ball. The cats in a league with a triple option team led the re- led the league in rushing yards per game and rushing average per carry and also touchdowns by a mile, forty four touchdowns on the ground. So it's like. You can be explosive in a running team, and the Cats are certainly that, but you still have to have the, the 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 quarterback who can keep the defenses a little honest. They can't just stuff every guy in the box every time. So it, it's interesting to see the progression there, and I and I don't know how Matt McKay is going to factor into that. But a uh, question I have, I guess, for you is, uh, I guess we kind of asked that a little bit. Are the, are the Cats a quarterback away from the national championship then, or do you think, like you said, Tucker Rover can probably get us there, just being a defensive-minded team? Uh, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't think that this team is a quarterback away. I, I think like you said, it is going to pride itself on being defensive minded, uh, being effective in the running game. If you can hit an absolute home run in recruiting or maybe the NC state transfer that you, uh, that we've alluded to previously, maybe if he ends up being a home run. That will put you over the hurdle, but I don't think that this Montana State team desperately needs that. The biggest issue, and I, I know it's hard to say for a lot of programs and, and fan bases, it's not a matter of if you're good enough. It's a matter of, of if you're better than North Dakota State to win a national championship right now. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> because you could be you could be like JMU and have an extremely complete program, and you're still facing off against a a, a mid-tier FBS program in the national championship. JMU had so many things going for them. A quarterback that got drafted. They had so many defensive players that are going to be playing in the NFL. They have guys that are returning that are going to be playing in the NFL. Their offensive line is loaded and they still couldn't beat Trey Lance in North Dakota State. As long as Trey Lance is still there and as long as uh, the, the talented unit that they have in whole is still there for the next few seasons, you're not going to win the national championship, or at least it's going to be very, very difficult to do so. No, it's uh, if there was one year that North Dakota State wasn't supposed to be 
as dominant as they were supposed to be this year with the new quarterback and new coaching staff and a bunch of new players. But exactly. Yeah. Instead, Who would have thought Trey Lance would have come out of the, gra- the, the ground like yeah. he did. <laughs> and, instead, it's just like, all right, well, I guess they're winning in the next four. So next three now, oh, but <laughs> possibly next one. If, if Trey Lance declares, which a lot of people think he's going to. All right. So we just got two final questions here. Uh, don't want to take too much more of your time up here. Kind of bigger questions. We've kind of alluded to some of them. So maybe you've already answered them and you just kind of want to reiterate it. But uh, Sean, we'll start with you. What's the uh, Bobcats biggest strength and weakness heading in to this year? Strength. Uh you know, I sound like a broken record. It's their defense and then also their coaching on the defensive side. Uh, their biggest weakness, um, and Joe already said it, it would be the receiving group. I mean, you lose uh, key guys and then you have to replace them. But also college, you find wide receivers in the rough. You find them all the time. And then there's also wide receivers just waiting in the wings, waiting in the wings. So I wouldn't I wouldn't even, um, if anybody's going after the concern of, of a running back or placed in the running back, I feel like college running backs are even more a dime a dozen than uh, NFL running backs, just because everyone can tote the rock. It just depends on if you don't put it on the ground. Uh, So strength, definitely on the defensive side and home field advantage in, in for the, for the Bobcats and the weaknesses, I'd probably say that coming back, returning with a a new wide receiver group. Hmm. I'm going to echo the sentiment that, that Sean has there because it's the same stuff that we just talked about for the past 20 or so minutes. Defense is a huge strength. You're losing some key players, but you know it's a well-coached team. It is always going to be the focus, the identity, uh, the goal to be the best unit on that squad. As I said earlier, this receiver group, the fact that you're losing your top two receivers and now you have a guy that only had 300 receiving yards last year with Coy Steele as your top returning receiver. Even if this is not a pass first team, even if this isn't a team that threw the ball as often as some other programs, it's concerning to me that when you need to pick up yardage through the air or you need a change of pace, are you going to be able to do that with a group that is going to be very inexperienced? Yeah. That's definitely a valid concern. I think I think you hit something that we haven't really talked about too much. Like if you need that third and 15, can the Cats convert with Tucker Rovig and then a new cast of wide receivers? Like that's a very good question. That's certain, some every program in the country comes up against are those kinds of moments where they need to convert. That's definitely uh, something that we need to keep an eye on. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, I think that's about all we have. This was a fun episode. It was kind of a, something different. Just a, uh, bringing on two other guys who kind of podcast about the SAS uh, landscape just to see the outsiders take an East coasters take even especially. I mean, I'm curious. Uh, one last question before I get you out of here. What is like MSU's like media presence? Like, are you able to watch film on anyone? I, one of my favorite things that you guys do. I love it when you guys uh, break down some film. Cause I think you guys are very knowledgeable and it's very informative for me, but and I've, I've gone out there and I've tried to find like a highlight reel for some of our players. And they, a lot of times it just doesn't exist. So are you able to really fully give a team like Montana state, like uh, the attention that they might uh, warrant? Uh, it requires a lot of digging, a lot of looking up on YouTube. <laughs> some of these games might not get put up right away, but people will upload full games. If you just straight up Google and or search in YouTube, Montana state football, uh, 2019, there will be at least a couple games. I also have a couple resources from uh, other shows that I do. I produce another show with Believe and Host uh, covering the NFL draft. And one of the people that I work with has access to a ton of all 22 film from 
programs at pretty much every level. So I also have access to that. It's not it's not easy, I will admit, but I, I am able to find something to watch. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get out of here. Uh, um, Sean, where can our listeners find you and uh, maybe your personal and then maybe also what you do with the belief? Yeah, uh, my personal Twitter at Sanderson Radio, S Anderson Radio. Uh, Joe's Twitter, I'll just plug it for him. Joe DeLeon, spelled just how it sounds. And <laughs> then you can find, you can find our <laughs> show, uh, Believe, B-L-E-A-V, in FCS football, basically on any uh, anywhere that you find podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Art19 is our primary uh, yep. location, but we are, we're everywhere. And then if you can't find it, just feel free to hit either of us up on Twitter. I'm going to go one more time for you. Sanderson radio and at Joe DeLeon. <laughs> Fellas, it was awesome having you on. We appreciate your time and we know it's really late for you. So a double thanks on that, man. Hey, no, no worries. Really appreciate time. you. Uh, you having us on. This was, this was a ton of fun. It was something different. And if you guys ever want to have us on again, we are more than willing to come on. Nice. I appreciate it. We would also like to reciprocate the offer. If you guys ever want to come on to our show, we would have no problem with that. Also, uh, I think that's that's what Joe was looking for. Hey, I know we were great. So if you want us back, go ahead and give us a call. Well, if you have, if you ever need a, any sort of FC or FCS MSU correspondence, you know, correspondent, yeah. man, I am uh, two beers in correspondent. Yeah, either one of us would be happy to jump on the show. Um, just Absolutely. Did. All right. Well, uh, cat fans, you can find the RR Catcast on Twitter, RR Catcast. You can find us on the Bobcat Nation under a recurring thread there. And fully, let's just end this with a go cats. Go cats. Go cats. <laughs>